Well, good morning and soon to be good afternoon. Lord willing, we'll get through the notes before it becomes good afternoon. And it'll be just a good time of fellowship together. If you're a guest with us, it's great to have you with us and we can celebrate and worship the Lord together. That's what we're here to do is to say that we value God above all things. We value His Word, spending time with Him and so it's a pleasure to be uh, together. Uh, part of that is we're going through the book of Romans, and so we are letting God choose the verses as we just go book by book, and we spend time uh, in the Lord uh, together. And so it's our privilege. We are going to be still in verses 18 through uh, 24, and uh, this morning is our last time for the, the summer in Romans. We'll get back into Romans sometime in September, and uh, starting next week, we'll be looking at uh, uh, how do we please God and spending time together with God and looking at some verses that many times we take out of context, and so we'll be looking at a lot of those things through the rest of uh, the summer. Uh, and so let's uh, pray and ask God to bless the reading of His Word and ask us to help us as we understand it, and pray for uh, Lyle and Molly, and, uh, and just as they spend time uh, learning to be married uh, together. Uh, one of the beautiful things, uh, you know, uh, Jim Hively was talking about it last night, as we just kind of went, and we all kind of sat back, and he was reminding us of the beauty of, what, of our time together in celebration of uh, Molly and Lyle being married and the joy that God gives in the gift of marriage is how many hands it took uh, to uh, put together uh, this special celebration. And the joy of that was is sometimes marriages is just you spend money and just everybody, you know, you just buy a lot of things to put together a celebration, but the beauty of uh, last night, we saw many hands that made it possible, and that was just, that was so neat, um, and many, many people holding up one another uh, to just love on Molly and Lyle, and to see the love of God expressed in marriage, and so it was a beautiful time uh, and part of that. And so uh, let's pray and look to God's Word this morning. Lord, we are blessed to be able to have your Word, to know about you, um, to know about us, to know what uh, sin and our sinfulness, what it does to us in light of who you are. And as we go to your Word, it may uh, the truth of your word impact our life. May it change our heart. May it encourage us, uh, Lord, to look to you and not look to this world. Thank you, Lord, that you are worthy. That when we are struggling or even when we are filled with great happiness and joy, we can turn and look to you and say, yes, you are of great value that you are worthy. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, you would just speak to us now and that your spirit would teach us as we read your word. Thank you for our church family. Thank you the way that you 
have blessed in encouraging one another and many hands that were a part of worshiping you yesterday and thanking you for the gift of marriage and seeing uh, that gift bestowed upon uh, Lyle and Molly. Bless them as they travel and um, bless them as they return and as we love on them even more and encouraging them in their new relationship with you. So we, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to celebrate you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we look at these verses this morning, verse 18 uh, through 24, I want to remind you that we're looking at really the true nature of man. God is showing us uh, the true nature, our very base nature of what it is like without God, without knowing God, not just knowing about God, but having a relationship with God. We, so we see this description, we see a picture painted of what our life is really like without God and where our thinking goes when we are left uh, to think for ourselves, And so that's really what we're seeing unfolded before us as we read these verses. And of course, it's being contrasted to the gospel. In verses 1 through 16, we see the power of God is seen in the gospel, in the work of God, and how powerful the gospel is. We see the importance of the gospel as it is basically being uh, described in the first verses and now being compared to the natural thinking of man. And we talked about last week briefly how it's this latter effect that man in its, his thinking and we desire to be closer to God. We think that we can do that ourselves as climbing this ladder of religion in life. And everybody is trying to do their own thing to get to God. And, and some even believing that they can become God. But they're trying to build this ladder. But the reality is that without the gospel, natural man descends in their ability, in their thinking when it comes to God. And so let's read verses 18 through 24 and see what God is saying. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his eternal power and the divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in their lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. 
Wow, that's quite a descent. We see literally that man is circling the drain and every turn uh, as they go around the circle, it's getting deeper and deeper in the pit of despair. Basically, as we look at the intro to these things, we see that man's rebellion towards God in verse 18 they basically, man, left to themselves, suppress the truth. They don't want to experience, know the truth of God. They do everything in their life to basically suppress the truth. And then in verse 19 through 20, we see that man is without excuse because they have the revelation of God, the natural revelation, that God has made it plain to them that there is God and God is powerful and above all things. And he did that so that way man would be drawn to the special revelation that is God's word to reveal who he is entirely and that we need a savior because of our sin. Verses 19 through 20 literally shows us that man, left to their own devices, reject the very revelation of God. And so they are without excuse when they come before God because of the wrath of God is revealed against all their unrighteousness and ungodliness. And now we've seen that basically in verse 21, that man rejects God, or we see the rejection of God. It says, for they knew God, but they did not glorify him as God or even give him thanks. So there was no glory of God and there was no gratification towards God. They rejected that, and we talked about that briefly. We see this intense, reckless choice. It was a very reckless and pur purposeful choice of mankind to basically just turn and not glorify God, or even to be thankful for what God has revealed to them. And they've completely become foolish. And that should scare some of us when it says, for even though they knew God, they did not glorify God. And we talked about that, that that's why it says why man, man's knowledge of God is not enough. Man's knowledge is, is not enough. And many times we go through life and say, well, yeah, I know God. But yet, just because we know God, it doesn't mean that we actually have a relationship with God. Our natural rebellion, our natural man just does not choose to glorify God. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need the gospel, the work of God. That's why the salvation, our salvation and the work of Jesus on the cross, our very salvation is so powerful in which he states in verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the very power of God. Let's look at the results. Here's the resulting condition of the rejection of God. You'll see this, it gets extremely worse. Not only do natural man reject God, they reject the revelation of God, and they're naturally rebellious, trying to suppress the truth of God. But we see that there's this nonsensical thinking. They're, they're really, they throw common sense out the window. And you say, well, that explains a lot when looking at the news for today. There's just a lack of 
common sense. The more that man tries in all of their might to push you know, God's truth under the water of life, they try to suppress it and keep it hidden in their life, the more that common sense is just thrown out. They don't understand. Because they rejected the Lord and his truth, they are given over to wretched living. They're given, given over to foolish living. Note that the rest of the verses here in verse 22 or verse 21 says about the very condition in their living, in their life, because they've rejected God. And there's very, two very important words. It says they became futile in their thoughts. Futile and thoughts are really important. They have become, their thinking literally has become futile. Or um, it's the same word in Ecclesiastes, vain or worthless. To think about wor- nothing, basically. Their thoughts of God have become worthless. They become, um, there's no wisdom in their thoughts. They've lost all sense. Paul's point is that their ideas and concepts of God have no value anymore to the actual truth about God. They began to become basically senseless in how they view God. They began to change what they believe God even is. They no longer look at God's word to describe God, and they began in their own thoughts to have futile imaginations of what God really is. Wow. Paul is stating that they continue to fall as man rejects God, and he begins to have these false notions about who God is. They are just making things up. And you hear it all the time when people talk about God and and they decide that they don't like church and they don't like God's word. And so they say, well, you know, my God is this. And they say, you know, and they change their perception of God based on what they want. And they suppress God's truth. So we see basically the result is there is a very hollow life. They have a very hollow or worthless way of thinking about life. There's really not very much substance to their thinking. They are living for themselves, so they think, but the reality is they are merely just wasting their time. They fill their days with themselves, but they eventually those days will end and they will stand before God and realize that all their vain imagination of their life came to nothing. That's why in Psalm 18, verse 11 through 13, as God describes his people, he says this, but my people did not listen to my voice, talking about Israel, when we saw How many times did they go around and around and around and struggle? How many times, right? They spent how many years in the wilderness going in circles? I've been there in the wilderness that God describes. There is nothing there. It's arid. It's it's a desert. There's nothing growing there. And it's really not that far from the promised land But they couldn't get to the promised land, and all they did is go around and around and around. You know, like 
the person when they're lost and they refuse to get directions, right? And they think, oh, I know where I'm going. And you just keep turning and turning and turning. And you think you're getting closer to the truth, but the reality is you're still lost. That's the hollowness of the life. That's what he's talking about here. And in verse 12, he says, So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsel. I just let them go their own way. Jeremiah chapter 2 says the same thing. Jeremiah the weeping prophet, when God says, Hey, Jeremiah, everybody's going to hate you. Uh, Don't even buy any land. Don't build a house because it'll just be tearing down over and over again. He says, everybody's not going to like you, but just proclaim my word. Don't worry about whether they like it or not. And then God said this, hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob. And not, not Jacob down here, but the house of Jacob of Israel. I was seeing if he was listening. He's smiling. So, And the house of Jacob, and he says, all the clans of the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthless thing or worthy worthlessness and became worthless? And he says, What is wrong with me? Why do you think there's something wrong with God that you would chase worthless things? And that is what God is telling us here that man suppresses the truth and they start to think of all of these things about God and they've become basically hollow in their life. In fact, Jesus says in Mark 8, right? What does it man accomplish if he could gain the whole world but yet lose his soul? It doesn't matter how much you have and the reality is if we lose our soul. Really, it just keeps getting worse. He says they became futile not only in their thoughts of God, but they also became foolish and their hearts were darkened. Their foolish hearts were darkened. What men seem not to understand is that not the only alternative to following light is to turn from light and to slowly move away from the light. And when you do that, you walk into darkness. So the natural man has suppressed the truth, has rejected God, and, and their thoughts of God have become so foolish, and they've turned from God and the light of who God is, the revelation of God, and they've slowly walked away to where they've just become dark. You know, what's amazing is is that the word foolish here, um, not just foolishness, but the word actual foolish is the Greek word, and it's where we get the English word for moron. (laughs) He's saying the natural man, when they reject God and refuse to listen to God, and they try to suppress the truth, the farther that they get from God, they become moronic. They've become like morons. And they walk into darkness. They're without insight or understanding. They're unintelligent, dull, foolish. It means uh, they, and there's no perception of the truth of God. 
God literally blows the light out in their life and they just lets them be dark. So here's the, the reality is, is that they're moving further and further and further away from God. And you see this reality that if we ignore God and we suppress the truth of God, and the more that we live in sin, the more foolish we become, and the more foolish we become, the more dark our life becomes. It doesn't get better. And that's the reality is, is that the natural man, there's, is a horrible life. Their thinking and their life just becomes more dark. And when you are living in the dark, you experience more dark things. I'll never forget when I was counseling a young man and he was like, he was talking about all these demons in his life and how real the demons were. And so I just started asking these questions and it was, the reality was he knew a lot about God, but the reality was he didn't know God. And I asked him some questions and I said, so what do you do at night? And he goes, oh, well, I, I watch TV. And I said, well, what do you watch? And, and he, he proceeded to tell me about all these horrific things that he watches, all these horror movies that he's just watching over and over and over again. And I said, well, you're just inviting the demons into your life. And he just lived in darkness. And he got saved. And you should have seen the total transformation of this young man. He would not go near chapel. Anywhere that God was being talked about, he would not go near. And he would start swearing as soon as you started singing about God. He would swear and scream and curse. But after he got saved, he was right in the very front row singing at the top of his lungs. And, and he jumped up and he said, and before that the speaker could come up and speak, he just jumped up to the mic and he says, I just want everybody to know that I found God. And his whole life, I mean, you could see he, he, there was no darkness. There was no shame in his life. There was just complete light in his life. The horrible part of his life went away. But that's not so for the natural man. It just keeps getting worse. John 3, verse 19, Jesus talks about this very thing, this very reality that when we refuse to listen to God and when we let the natural fleshly part of our life take over and we ignore the truth about God and that he is worthy and worshiping him and we begin to worship ourselves, we realize this and John 3, 19, because we always read 3, 16, and, and then if you're spiritual, then you read 3, 17, right? But we never get to 19. And verse 19 says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That is Christ. And the people love the darkness rather than the light because the works, their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest the works, his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And God is glorified. Yeah, darkness does not like light. And light exposes darkness, so darkness stays away from light. 
It's why so many people really have a hard time with church. And that's why a lot of people have a hard time with God's word. Because the word is light. And it's like a really sharp and bright stoplight. I mean, uh, stoplight. It's just, you know, those, you know, those lights that those, man, they advertise those flashlights you can get and that'll even start fires. It's so bright. Well, this burns right through the, our flesh and exposes the depths of our sin. And when you love the darkness, we hate that. But when you love the light, you invite it because it burns away the sin of our life. And all that is left is God's goodness. Not our goodness, but God's goodness. And he is glorified. Look at the reaction to God. Man's reaction to God. In verse 22, look at this. They profess to be wise, but they become fools. And they exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for the image and the likeness of corruptible man. You see this, this natural reaction that man regresses and becomes even more foolish. They become so foolish that they say, look how wise I am. See, my foolishness is actually wisdom. Don't you see that in today's society when the world says, we're going to you know, teach this to our kids that are three years old and force them into something that's not even natural? that God didn't even create as natural. They're going to create something that they think is wise, but yet it is so foolish. It's amazing what man thinks up that they believe is so wise, and yet it is so foolish. So they keep progressing. It just the natural man gets worse the further that they get from God because they refuse to listen to the truth of God. And so we see the natural man is so in need of a Savior. His heart is so dark. When man turns on the Lord and closes his eyes to the truth, they really do think they are wise, but yet the reality is that they are simply foolish. We see this explained so well. You can write down or underline 1 Corinthians 1, right? That the world professes to be wise, but yet... They are so foolish, and God's own foolishness is wiser than any man, it says in verse 25 through 31. In the world's eyes, the Christians are fools, but in God's eyes, God takes the fools and makes them the wisest. You know, it's amazing how many times I have unbelievers come up to me and say, man, you have nothing, but you seem to have everything. I don't get it. I don't understand. You, you, you seem to be so wealthy, but the reality is you really don't have anything. And I said, but the reality is I have everything because I have the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's amazing how the world sees that and, and looks at me and says, I am so foolish and everything. I've been told that my profession is the foolish, most foolish profession in the world. And yet they ask me, and they're like, but how, how come you're so content? And I said, well, I am content about some things, and God is still working on contentment in other things. I've never seemed to be content with my own barbecue. I want to do better. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, it's just good. And I just need to trust the Lord with all things. 
God is so good. God is so good. But man thinks they are so wise. Do you see that not only do they profess to be wise, they become actual fools because they believe they're wiser than God, but they also choose to create false religion and worship. They create idols. But did you notice the first idol? They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of corruptible man. Did you see that? You see, man says no to God, and he turns around, and he invents things to worship. And you always see that they invent things to worship that they think will make their life better. I, it's amazing how that happens. People are confronted with the truth of God, and they say, I don't like that. I want to worship myself. And so they say, if I want to worship myself, I'm going to do only the things I like. And man sets up idols to naturally make themselves better or to make themselves feel better. And, that's, and here's the reality. I mean, talk about foolish. You take and you, this great, this is the, the foolish exchange. The great exchange is that Jesus died. He's perfect. He's the worthy lamb. The, and he is the righteous one. And he takes all of his righteousness and he pays for our sin on the cross. And so he takes all of our sin and he gives us his righteousness in return. That's the great exchange. But the natural man does the foolish moronic exchange and that he takes the perfect glory of God that has been given to him and to worship and he takes that incorruptible glory of God and he exchanges it for the, the corruptible man. Talk about foolish. And here's the reality. If we don't worship God, we will manufacture a God to worship. If that doesn't, you know, and the reality is, if, if it doesn't scratch the itch, it doesn't suit my fancy, man will find another man to give his worship to. Say, well, if God doesn't, you know, suit, you know, suit me, then I'll find somebody that does suit me. He always, man always will find something to worship. If it doesn't fit the bill of your life, then we will ultimately set ourselves up something, some little God in our life that makes us feel better. And there's another word for it. We call it addiction. But the reality is, is we set up idols in our life to make us feel better. We exchange the glory of God for the glory of a decaying world or a decaying man. The basic sense is when we exchange it is to make something other than what it really is. It means to change, to cause one thing to cease and another to take its place. And that's what God is telling us. The natural man ceases to make God's glory exist in their life and choose to glorify themselves. That's what Isaiah was warning about in Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5, we read, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, 
who substitute darkness for light or light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Basically saying you just exchange and you make something that's good and you, and you say that that which is bad is good and you change it completely. We don't see that going on, do we? <laughs> right? And you're like, man, I'm beginning to understand why our world is so bad. Because, guys, in our natural state without God, we are utterly worthless. We need the Lord. Man believes that they are clever in their own thoughts and mind. At the end of that verse, in verse 20, it says, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. And cle-, you know, it's like, Woe to you if you think you're clever, right? Because, man, we are in our natural state incurably religious. We desire to be seen as good or we desire to be religious because we want to feel good. When man makes this exchange and turns away from God, he creates an image to worship. And we see here, first it's in the image of man, but then it becomes the image of four-footed creatures. Basically, it's like he's talking about Egypt, or you look at all the civilizations, whether you go back to Babylon, you know, this is what Abraham was called out of, right? They worshiped four-footed creatures with the, you know, the head of, head of a, a man, or, or you go to Egypt and you have the body of a man, but in the head of a jackal, or the head of a hawk, or, a, you know, a head of a, a, a stork, or, you know, they had all sorts of created uh, gods that they worshiped that's what man does and now we 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 have you know other things like you know phones and and computers and games and and game boxes or we have i'm I'm, you know i'm just talking about things that god worked in my life you know sports and all these other things that we set up for worship you notice that man steps away from God, he doesn't evolve, he devolves. He doesn't progress upward, he progresses downward. All of this tends to prove the point that a life without God is a life on a downward path. That's why we need the Savior. That's why we need Christ. That's why we talk about the gospel so much. Guys, if you stop living a life worthy of the gospel, you stop focusing on what Christ has done for you. We are meant every time we gather together as believers to remember Christ. Because when we stop remembering and worshiping Christ, we devolve and we start going down this path. Walking away from God doesn't prove that you are wise. It merely proves that you are a fool. And it proves that you want your life to be a disaster and your eternity is going to be miserable. It's a sad shape to be in. That's what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. He says, but understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty that's he he's he soft pedaled that when he said times of difficulty <laughs> it's going to be a, a disastrous is literally what he's talking about 
He says in verse 2, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. That's a mouthful. You see the downward spiral? It just gets worse. As we close, look at this. You notice the downward, slippery slope here? First, there's a rebellion. It's an improper attitude towards God, right? That's what he's talking about. That's the natural man. There's this natural rebellion. Then there's this natural arrogance. Arrogance is an improper attitude towards self. We think that we're better than we really are. And that just leads to something worse, to idolatry. That's an improper attitude towards creation. God created us to worship Him. Not to worship creation. Not to worship us or to worship other things. You see, this this is how people walk away from the Lord. This is how believers fall and and fall into sin and fall into the traps of the evil one. We begin to struggle with our relationship with God and we rebel and, and it turns into, well, I know better. And I, I, I'm smart, I'm wise, I'm not a bad person. And, and we say, well, I'm not really arrogant. But when we look at God in comparison to God, we realize, oh, yeah, I, I am arrogant. Because God is worthy, he is holy. I am not. And it leads to idolatry. This is a danger. This is a falling off the ladder moment for believers or for unbelievers. It's just a downward trajectory to a life in hell when they either die or Christ returns. Here's the reality. An idol doesn't have to be a figure on the mantle that you pray to or burn incense to or leave food to. It can be a mental distortion of God, an unbiblical concept of God. An idol can be those things. Martin Luther said this, he said, whatever your heart clings to and relies on is your God. That's our question this morning. Where is your heart? Is it, does it love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Is it being reminded daily of your salvation is it the, reminded of the value of what Jesus has done for you? Or is it clinging to the things of this world? Is there anything luring your devotion that's luring your heart away from worshiping the one and true God? What is it? What do you value the most? What you value the most is what you'll, value, what you'll worship the most. Is there any areas that you see as God describes the natural man that really speaks to some rebellion in your heart that God is exposing so that way you'll deal with it? Not so you'll feel condemned, but you will enjoy your relationship with God and keep God on the throne and enjoy your relationship with Him. Do you... It starts with like in verse 21, they didn't glorify God and they didn't have gratitude in their heart towards God. Do you, 
Do you have any gratitude for God? Are you thankful for the things that God is doing, even when life is hard? The easiest way to cling to God, and, and the easiest thing is when life is hard and things don't make sense, is to turn to what you're most thankful for, and that is your salvation. And God slowly lifts you out of the muck and the mire because of the work on the cross. Are you honoring God with your life, but also in your thinking? Many times Christians fall away from the Lord, not because they just go out and do something wrong, but because of what they choose to think about. I don't know where your heart is this morning, but I'm sure that not everyone is at peace with God in their heart. You may be struggling with some things. Great! Present it to God. Repent. Turn to Him. Receive grace and mercy. Run to your heavenly Father. Stop thinking like the natural man and think like one who's been given the ultimate gift, forgiveness for your sin. There's always room for improvement, isn't it? That's the beauty of as we go through the Scripture, we're like, ooh, that one touched my heart. <laughs> the sad thing is, is like... I studied this about five months ago, and it killed me then, and it's been having to kill me. I, you know, talk about slow roasting a pig on a barbecue. I've been slow roasting my heart over some of these verses. And it's been a joy to be thankful and say, God, thank you for reminding me who I naturally am. But thank you, Lord, for removing me from that and reminding me of what you've given me. And I pray that would be your joy this morning, that you would turn to your loving Father and rejoice in Him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the joy that you have given us through the cross, through your work, that you have given us a love that is everlasting because of the work of Christ. Thank you for choosing to save us, that it's not based on anything that we can do. We are not good. It is clear that through these verses that you're showing how evil we truly are and what sin really does to our life. It's miserable to be called foolish. It's miserable to think of our life as foolish. But Lord, thank you so much that while we were yet sinners, you chose to die for us. Thank you for demonstrating that love. Thank you that we can turn to you and rejoice in you and that in doing so we can be thankful and, and pray and we can honor you and, and even in the midst of anxiety and stress, we can be thankful and we can pray and you can give us the peace that surpasses all understanding through Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, I, I pray that we would Cling to the cross because, Lord, you are worthy. We are not. Lord, I pray that if anyone here has, has heard a lot about you and they've heard about Jesus and God, and, but they've never repented and never turned to you. They've never confessed and say, Lord, I am nothing, but, Lord, you are everything. I need you to save me. 
that, Lord, that they would realize this morning and say, there is none righteous, no, not one. We don't naturally seek after you. Actually, we turn away from you. But, Lord, you have given us your righteousness, your Son, to die on the cross for our sins. So that way we would repent and we would take up your life in exchange and give you our life. And Lord, thank you that you did that to make a way to have a relationship with you. Lord, that there would be there, those today that would realize it's not about me, but Lord, it's all about you and what you did for us. And that they would turn and call upon your name, the name that is above all names, and that their heart would bend to your will and that they would be saved. You have told us that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Lord, I pray that you would save those that don't know you. Lord, I pray that that great gospel message, that good news, that we would carry that, that would be the great love of our church family and that it would influence our thinking daily. And Lord, I just thank you. Pray for those that aren't here uh, with us, that are traveling, that are um, our family members. And Lord, I pray that those that are, that are not healthy enough to be here for whatever reason, that you'd be with them, that they would know that you love them and that we are praying for them and that we can rejoice together one day uh, in heaven when we celebrate with you the marriage supper of the Lamb, the perfect wedding celebration. We are reunited with you, our Father that is in heaven. And Lord, we will be with you for eternity. What a day that will be. Lord, may we long for that day. In Jesus' name, amen.